Welcome to The Mend, a podcast to learn about services and support for victims and survivors of crime, sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services here in Vermont. I'm Anna Nasset, and I am your host for this bi-monthly podcast and show. Today on the show, we have Edward Obi West joining us from the West Coast to talk about male victimization, sexual assault, and also to talk to us about spoken word and poetry. This show was created to take a deeper look at services, organizations, and concepts for victims and survivors of crime. We want to acknowledge the healing process and provide resources, not only in our state, but throughout the country that could benefit victims as they begin to mend. And today we are going to be looking at some of those with Obi. As always, I like to begin with a trigger warning. Our goal is to create a safe place to discuss topics of healing, but with that in mind, we may occasionally hear a story that may trigger us, discuss our mental health, or have other sensitive subject matter. We urge you to care for yourself as you listen at your own discretion. I am delighted to have Edward Obi West here today. Obi and I are collaborative partners for the Difference Makers 10 Strong, a group of speakers working on various subjects to lead change and prevent violence. Obi is an Army veteran, an international speaker, writer, poet, and spoken word artist. He is, he is a sexual violence prevention advocate and working to bring awareness to military bases, universities, and communities. Thank you so much for being here today, Obi. Thank you for the opportunity. Yes. Obi, as we start off, can you share with our guests a little bit more about yourself, how you were drawn to the issues of sexual violence and also poetry? Okay, well, from the root, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. Um, spent 20 years and nine months in the military. After retirement, I moved to Las Vegas, which is where I reside now. Um, as a child, I, I lived in a household where abuse was present. So I was able to witness abuse. And it's, it's, it can be a difficult dynamic for a child who's in the developing stages cognitively in the development stages to, to recognize what the definition of love is when you see two parents in an abusive situation who after the abuse ends now exchange the words, I love you. So yes. as a child, you grow up and you can be a little confused as to what love is. So for me, fortunately, I recognized that that wasn't healthy and I vowed to never want to inflict or see anyone go through those levels of pain again. So fast forward, I've always been against abuse. I didn't know what the term advocate was, but I just know I didn't like abuse. So we fast forward to 2011. I'm in the military. They sent me to Colleen, Texas, Fort Hood. And I link up with a, a group of poets, my first introduction to poetry. And instantly that felt like my purpose for existing. Awesome. So, yeah, so I started doing poetry. And once I started, after about a year of doing poetry, I went back over my catalog to learn that a large portion of that catalog was composed of poems addressing abuse. And it was absolutely, it was subconsciously. It wasn't like I sat down and said, this is what I'm gonna write about. I usually write what I hear. When I hear it, I write it. So I'm purely a conduit. And that's what came out. So um, I guess poetry is a depiction of, of life as well as what you are most passionate about. So I ended up with a surplus of poems addressing the topic and went from there. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I, I'm a visual artist and 
I too, it's like, you know, you sit down and you start to create and then you look back and you're like, oh, that's what's going on there. That's all of this pain coming out. And so I'm glad you understand. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so subconscious um, that you don't really see it till afterwards. Um, So I appreciate that. Um, So today we are going to be talking about male victimization um, and all too often overlooked group and base of victims. And that's males of sexual assault. Um, can you start by just sharing with the listeners some data around sexual assault amongst males and your thoughts on why that's so overlooked? Well, the most prominent piece of data that we have right now is, is the one in six is one in six is the ratio at which men are experiencing sexual assault to some extent. And one in six.org does a great job of elaborating on that and, and, and provide more detail. And you asked, why do I think this exists? Why is it so overlooked? I I think it's overlooked because genetically men are recognized to be the most dominant gender, right? Physically, Mm -hmm. the most dominant gender. That's the the reason sports events are separated. You have men's sports and women's sports and men can't play women's sports because they may dominate because genetically we're known to be the most dominant figure. A lot of people associate sexual assault with being an aggressive overpowering act. Mm-hmm. So now logically it doesn't make sense that a man can be sexually assaulted by a woman because she's not stronger than him. Um, I think what a lot of people fail to realize is there's a lot of ways that sexual assault can occur aside from physical ag- aggression. If uh, when, when we're children, we look up to our parents, right? We think our parents are superheroes. We think our parents know everything. The quickest way to confuse a child as a parent is to say, I don't know. They're like, what? You, you know everything, yeah. You're a grown person, how, how don't you know, right? Yeah. So when you're an impressionable child and you're under the impression that everything an adult do is correct, and now I'm a 30-year-old man with my hands in his three-year-old's pants, he don't think that I'm doing anything wrong. He think he's learning something about life. Yep. Until later on when he's 12 and 13 and 14, he learns what a pedophile is. Now he re- recollects and realizes, wait a minute, I was sexually assaulted. Yep. Right. There was um, there was an instance that I heard about. There was a a training course for advocates, and an attorney came in and was telling a story about a a service member and his spouse, and a service member deployed and left his spouse, a woman, a list of names that she could resort to in the event that she needed help in his absence, and it was a bunch of his friends, his battle buddies, what they call them in the army, and she called one guy over and said, "Hey, my garage isn't." opening when I hit the the button on the remote I guess the signal is not registering and is not responding so he comes over and he presses the button boom the garage goes up and she says I I don't know what happened it wasn't working can I offer you something to drink he accepts the drink next thing he know he wakes up half dressed they start the investigation and this happened to several men on this list at no point did she ever outpower them but there's no man on planet earth who's strong enough to combat the power of a sedative So once we realize that sexual assault can occur in more ways than just being physically aggressed, now we have a better chance of understanding how men can become victims to this. And And not just as children. I I think that's a really important story. Right. So you have children who are mentally and physically helpless and you have men who can become physically helpless after they have something in their system that pretty much, you know, enables disables them and then you have men on men on men abuse Mm -hmm. which can be 
by physical aggression, or it can also be by way of a sedative. And I think, uh, so those, because society looks at rape as physical aggression and sometimes blind to the idea or just fails to consider the idea that this can happen in other ways is why I think it's so overlooked to address your question directly. That's why I think it's so overlooked. And um, another reason it's overlooked because in order for something to be relevant, a fuss has to be made. Yep. We fuss by way of reporting. So when reporting isn't as it should be, when we're not reporting at the rate that we should or the reports aren't coming in at the rates that the crimes are being committed, then there's no fuss. Right. If there's no fuss, how does society know something's wrong? And when there's not societal support, there's not going to be the reports to cause that fuss. Um, Absolutely. Right. So, you know, we're just starting to see more and more support and it's very much based towards women, which is why we're making more of a fuss, but we're not seeing that same support for males. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, there's a big part. We've already kind of started to address this, but like with anybody, there's so much shame and blame put on the victim, regardless of their gender. Um, how do we take that into account and address that problem with men? Because we're also dealing with, like you said, the masculinity factor. So how do we start to address that shame and blame so that we can make a fuss and we can have more reporting? I think if we start from the root, right? If we first start from the root and start from the way that men are molded. As, as parents, historically, especially in my community, we, we coddle our daughters, right? I remember my daughter, she would fall and she would get hurt and she would come to me crying and I would be useless because I'm crying too, right? We mm-hmm. both cry. I'm crying because my daughter's crying. It just hurts me to see it. But our son, I mean, we can have a child, a boy who's trampled by Buffalo, half his head hanging off. And he, and he comes to us and say, I'm about to die. And first thing we're going to respond with is you better not cry. Yep. Suck it up. We, don't cry. We, we, we better not cry. And I think it's okay to tell children to suck it up. But I think what's important is the reason behind it. So if I have a daughter and I have a son and they're both on a park and they both fall and hurt themselves, I think it's okay to say, hey, listen, cry for a minute, but after you're done crying, you got to get back in the fight because life doesn't allow you to stay down. And you have to use this playground as, as look at it as a, a metaphor for life, but don't tell them it's because you're a man and you're not supposed to do it. Right. So I think the reasoning behind why we say suck it up is very important. And historically, the reason we've given men is because it's not, it's not a character trait that a man should have is showing emotion. Mm-hmm. So we teach them to suppress their emotion. We teach them to be masculine, but oftentimes we don't apply a definition for masculinity. So now they go out into the world and the world applies the definition for masculinity. And now it translates as never show your emotions, never cry. If you look at any organization that's exclusive to men and there's an initiation process, that initiation process includes abuse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is it thirties? <coughs> yep. And street gangs, whatever it is. Yeah. And the quickest way to not be accepted into that organization is to go tell someone that you've been abused. Mm-hmm. So it's been, we've been, we've been mentally conditioned from the time we were born to suppress our emotions and not tell about anything that hurts us. And that yep. mentality shows its face during when somebody has been sexually assaulted or a victim of domestic violence, any type of violence. So from the root, I think we have to 
change the way we bring men up and we have to embed a healthier mentality so that when they reach, so that when something like this does happen, they don't look at it as being emasculated that they have to come forward with a report. Yes. But now we have a group of men who are already adults. It's too late for us to take them back to their childhood. Yeah. I think toxic masculinity or unhealthy masculinity or excessive masculinity, however you want to word it, I think that's absolutely a man's responsibility. A lot of men don't act certain ways around other men because they're afraid of what that man is going to think about them. Mm -hmm. There may be some men who like to dance, but they're probably not going to dance when I'm around because they right. think dancing may make them look a certain way. Right. I remember uh, myself and, and Eric, we were going to do his survivor's testimony for the first time. And we're standing in a hotel room in Lawton, Oklahoma. And I asked him, what are you going to do if you get up there and feel like you need to, you want to cry? And he really didn't. He was just kind of like, as if he hadn't considered it. Right. So rather than me letting him go through that mental turmoil, I just offered an answer. And I said, I think you should probably just cry. Yeah. And at that point, it, it appears that he instantly felt empowered. Like the man next to me just gave me the okay to cry. So now I can walk in this arena. I can tell my story. If I feel emotional, I can let those emotions out and keep going and not have to suppress it because the man next to me just gave me permission to show a level of sensitivity. So I think wow. it's absolutely a man's responsibility to let the man adjacent to us know, hey, listen, it's okay to show certain levels of sensitivity a yeah. woman can say that to a man all day long but until yep. another man empowers him with that they're not going to do it so it's men's responsibility to empower the men around us and let them know hey this is the real definition of masculine masculine means not being afraid to show how you feel not being afraid to shed a tear not being afraid to tell if something goes wrong and masculine is not being masculine is not to be afraid to do all these things Right now, we've been taught yes. that masculinity is to be scared. Yeah. Be scared to go forward. Be scared to show your emotions. Be scared to show tears. So masculinity is to be scared is what we've been taught. Yeah. Now, that's, that's an absolute contradictory statement, right? Yeah. So we have to rebrand that word masculine. And it's up to a man to do that. So for the younger generation, we have to change the way we teach masculinity. For the older generation, we have to rebrand it and let them know, hey, listen, this, this is what this should look like. And it's absolutely okay for you to do that in my presence. And I'm not going to look at you as that. That's so powerful. It's a really, thank you for sharing that story of that with Eric. It's very <clears> powerful. <throat> and I think, you know, I mean, often we're like, oh, we've already grown up. These things are already embedded in our head. We can't change them. We can't change others. And it does start with the child rearing and how we bring up kids to, to learn a new label of masculinity but we can change as adults too. And that's really powerful. So thank you for sharing that. Wow. Um, so as we continue on, we're kind of jumping a little bit all over because I've got so much I want to cover with you in a short period of time. Um, I saw a quote on your website that really resonated with me and it said, cultural change is a collective effort. And we've already been beginning to talk about this, but how do we use this concept to begin to shift the support for male victims? Well, as I mentioned, I think we have to, I think we have to sort of look at it from the, the, the top 
down. What I mean by that is we first identified a problem. The problem is sexual assault. Men are being sexually assaulted. The, and then the next problem is reports aren't being made. So now if we look, why aren't reports being made? Because men aren't being empowered to come forward with reports. As a result of that, resources aren't being established in order to support men. No one's gonna put the funding or the time or the manpower into a resource if we don't know there's a demand for that resource. Yeah. So our voice absolutely has to become the demand. So the collective effort part is, it goes back to empowering men to report by, again, by rebranding what the definition of masculinity is. And I think we've had some, some great examples. Uh, I'm not too connected with media, but I have heard some instances where, what's the guy's name? He was a, He's an actor. Terry, uh, Terry Clues. Okay. Yeah. He, he's a prime example, right? Because mm -hmm. he goes against, physically, he goes against everything that we, he, he absolutely is, is the, the opposite of who we would expect <laughs> To come forward because he looks physically capable of defending himself. Yeah. He's super jacked. He's, you know, just this right. very big athlete, actor, very, you know, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Everything about him yeah. just says he's not a candidate for sexual assault, right? Exactly. So, for those are the type of examples, we, we need individuals who are in those positions to continue to muster the strength to come forward, right? In yeah. addition to that, we also need to continue to hold the conversation about it. There's a lot of times taboo topics go unaddressed. And when something goes unaddressed, it goes untreated. And when it goes untreated, then we have an issue like this. So I think the, the conversation needs to be held more in a public forum. Um, again, I think men need to continue to empower men. In addition to men supporting, empowering men, I think the, the woman, the women who are connected with that man need to be supportive of that empowering if that makes sense if i'm Absolutely. a man and i'm empowered by another man to do something that's normally associated with not being masculine if the the woman in front of me now shuns me because of that now i'm in a conflict yeah absolutely on both ends so without me going down a rabbit trail um that's what i mean by the collective effort the resources are one thing but the resources are all null and void if no one's walking into those resources. And it also has to be known that these resources, I've had many men come to me that are in a violent relationship, have been sexually assaulted um, throughout the years that say to me, where do I go for help? Right. And I'm like, well, you can go to your local advocacy center. And they're like, no, I can't. It's just for women. I'm like, no, it's not. It's for everyone. And really being, you know, I think that we need to make sure that people know that these services are not just for women. If you are in a domestic violence situation, you too can use your local shelters and advocacy centers. Absolutely. I think that's very important. And I think that goes into branding. We have a lot yep. of shelters where the name, the word woman is embedded in the name of the shelter, which automatically implies this is a place to service women. Just this morning, yeah. it was on a website, a very prominent organization that that fights domestic violence. And as soon as you go on the website, there's a cover picture and there's a lot of women who are joined in arms, smiling. So that message implies that 
these are the, this is the gender that we're supporting. So I think it, it goes along with branding. Whenever we're branding this support, we have to make it known that it's all inclusive and it's not gender specific. So I think that's very important that men know that there are help sources out there. So a combination of those two, because the help sources can be there. Yeah. The man is not empowered to use it. Those facilities will be empty and unused. Yep. But if a man is empowered and then the help sources aren't there, then where does he go? So I think both of these things have to exist. And um, yeah, it has to go, absolutely has to go hand in hand. That makes sense at all. Absolutely. I mean, it's something that I work really hard to address when I'm talking about stalking. Because same thing, people think stalking only happens to women. And, you know, it's not. It's one in seven women. And, or no, what is it? It's like one in seven women and one in 16 men, I think. So, I mean, that's a big statistic. That's a lot of men. And, but all too often people overlook that. So I work really hard to make sure that, yes, I am a female telling this story, but this can happen to anybody. And right. everybody deserves the same resources and help that I got. Because um, if I'm not sharing that message, I'm not doing, I'm not serving everyone. And, Absolutely. and that's what it's about is these centers and everything are supposed to be there to serve everyone. So we, we do really have to work on that branding piece. I agree with that. Yeah. Another point that you just reminded me of that I think is very important, this probably goes back to your initial question. Um, I think it's very important that we as men, and this may be a very sensitive topic for some, but we as men, we define the word, the term sexual assault, and we define rape the same way it's defined when it's used against a woman. Because mm -hmm. when you were talking about the stalking, the numbers are drastically different between the women and the men. But if I'm a man and I'm being followed by someone who I don't think is a threat, I might not call it stalking. Right. Even though yeah. all the behavior is the same, but yep. because yep. that's a woman, I don't feel like I'm threatened by it. So I just call it somebody following me rather right. than calling it stalking. So as a result, those numbers are can be skewed. I remember I was in a barbershop. Men were cutting hair. I felt like this is a prime time for me to take a sample of society and figure something out. So I asked my barber, I said, hey, what, would you, what, do, what do you think will happen if you was in a club and you walked up to a girl and grabbed her private part? Oh man, I'm, it's a wrap. They're gonna put me out the club and blah, blah. And he started telling me all these things that he think would happen. I said, what if it was the other way around and she walked up to you and grabbed your private part? He said, man, I'll probably stop and ask her, hey, what's, what's good? Yeah. So yeah, that's a really same, good point. Yeah, the same act has occurred, but now this man views it as a come on. Mm -hmm. Whereas, if the same thing happened to a woman, is viewed as a reason to be put out of the establishment. Yes. Yeah. So until we apply an equal definition to these acts, mm -hmm. you have people who, if 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 I seem to welcome something, if you do something to me and I smile and I embrace it. And I take it as you saying at that point that that infraction has lost its definition. Yeah. So until we're able to apply the right definition across the board, we as men aren't helping ourselves. That is so a some, great point. So there's some help that we need from society and there's some self-assessment that we have to do internally. Mm -hmm. So the combination of those two things over a, long, over a period of time will bring us to the point to where we're handling this thing in a better manner. That is an excellent point. Yeah. 
thank you for sharing that. That I'll be thinking on that one for quite a while. Um, yeah, and that's interesting to think about how we address it and what was, I mean, what were the other people in the barbershop? What were their reaction to that question? It was a consensus across the board. Yeah. It was a, in Did it lead to other conversation? It, it did. It, it, okay. it steered off into people giving instances where, yeah, I remember I was here and I remember I was here. So it turned into, but at that point I had already got the answers that I needed. Right. Right. And a lot of them, majority of them don't know the field that I operate in. So they don't know the basis of the question. Yep. When you know the field somebody operate in, you may now construct your question in order to fit what you think they want to hear. Mm -hmm. But because they thought it was just a general question, they all answered honestly. And it was, uh, it, it, that's what I got out of it. That the, the definitions are different depending on who the act is. is, is yeah. Doing. Yeah, that's interesting. <clears throat> Well, when we're allowed to actually be out in community again, I might find myself doing some of those test questions as well, because I think that a lot of yeah. times, like, you know, we starting to ask those questions can start a dialogue and that dialogue can change the, the perception and start to change behaviors. Um, more often than not, it's like, you know, I used to be somebody who would get very angry and very loud about my beliefs and stuff like that. And now I find that change comes by just having a conversation with somebody. And, right. and hearing them and explaining where you're coming from. And, and it's, it's just much more easy for people if you're just having a conversation. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so one of the ways that you share your conversation and your message is through poetry. Um, you shared a little bit about that with us and about your journey to poetry. Um, how do you use spoken word and and poetry to communicate these messages um, when you're doing presentations? Um, yeah, just how are you using poetry to communicate these messages? The, the how is I use it to introduce the topic. In most cases, what we see traditionally, we see a presenter and we see a slide deck and we see the topic in bold and then we see the itemized or the, uh, the bulletized subtopics. So I don't mm -hmm. use slides, my bold is the poem. And then after the poem has been presented, and then we go into discussion about the specifics. I think the why is more important than, than the how I use the poetry. The why is, I'm a junk food fanatic, right? Mm -hmm. I eat sugar, right? So I'm sure, do you have any, any, any dietary vices that you know is unhealthy, but you still partake? I can eat gummy bears all day long. Okay. I, I loved, I love gummy bears. Like gummy that's bears. my thing. So you can read, you can read the ingredients on a gummy bear. You can read the contents on a gummy bear while you're eating gummy bears. And this bag can say, these gummy bears can kill over a long period of time. And you'll continue to eat while you're reading it. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same thing with me. I can eat something that says this causes diabetes and I'll continue to eat it. Until I'm diagnosed with diabetes or somebody close to me dies from diabetes, I'm not going to make a change, right? So the data yeah. is never enough from us. Until you attach some type of emotion to the data, we don't respond to it. It's like sitting inside of a, a classroom and the professor says, hey, read the information on the board. Everybody will look at the information uninterested and read it. But he says, this information is testable. Suddenly they're pulling out pins. They're taking a picture of the wall. They're recording what's being said because a test is a significant emotional event. When it was just yes. data, I was no interested in intaking that information. Now that you said it's testable, now I'm 
So that's what the poetry does. It attaches emotion to the data. When you just yeah. show a slideshow, people just look at it, especially if an annual requirement, we see this once a year, I've seen this before and they're uninterested. So until you take some type of emotion and attach it to that data, it's not gonna be a call of action. We as people are driven by emotion. So that's why the poetry mm -hmm. poems are so impactful because it first hits you with a surge of emotion and now you're more apt to, to listen to and figure out how to use that data. So that's the how and the why I, I've resorted to spoken word for, for presentations. Awesome. Okay, so you speak to a lot of military bases and a lot of male audiences. Can you tell me about their response um, to your poetry um, and how you're using it to reframe masculinity? There's... There's a lot of the, across the board, the consensus is it's effective. That's, it's been well received. There's a lot of mixed emotions that come out of, the, the impact seems to vary per person, but the method seems to be well received. What I had to learn is when I'm presenting poetry to a poetry audience, to a bunch of people who paid to hear poetry, they've been listening to it for a while. So their ability to translate the metaphors and all these things, or a little more enhanced versus talking to an audience who doesn't frequent in that arena. So I had to learn that my presentation method needs to be different. It mm -hmm. needs to be slowed down. I need to make sure I articulate better and not just speed through certain things. So once I figured that out and I was able to present it in a manner that was digestible to the target audience, it's, it's, it's well received. I spent 20 years in the military. I've sat in reoccurring training Mm -hmm. I fell asleep in reoccurring training. I've avoided reoccurring training. <laughs> I've talked bad about reoccurring training. <laughs> yeah. Because of, the, because of the redundancy and the, the information is fed from the top to the bottom. So it's required that the same information is pushed out. So if you don't figure out a creative way to present it. You've lost them as soon as you tell them where they're going. Hey, we're going to the auditorium to talk about this. They're already lost. So when they yep. walk in, so because of that, I was able to figure out or I was able to recognize a, a, a void in that operation and figure out a way to fill it. So to address- And also, question, well, and also, you know, we, it goes back to like, you're a male talking to other males. You're a veteran talking to other people in the military. Like you are talking to your peers and people are gonna listen way more to you than they would to me per se, if I came in and wanted to and shared poetry, it's not gonna have the same impact. And um, so I think it's really amazing the work that you're doing within that community. That's a great point. That's a, that's a great point. And that does lend to the connection. I'm able to, as we know, stories, they keep people's interest more so than data. So when I'm able yeah. to use certain stories from the military and use those things to connect them to sexual assault, then the um, the understanding or the comprehension is a lot better. So being that I can relate to what they're going through, being that I have personal examples of how I went through those things, you're absolutely right. It, it lends to the connection a lot more than if you per se. Yeah, and I really, I work really hard at storytelling as well, not poetry, but storytelling because right. that's, that is, you know, people want to hear stories. And so 
I can get a good connection if I walk into a military base and share with, you know, a group that's 90% men, I can still have a really good connection. Um, but in a different way, but it's because I've really honed in on storytelling. Yeah. That's, that's the savior for, for training. Yeah. Being able to, yeah. Tell us yeah, story. absolutely. Yeah. Um, let me see where we kind of, we've been, like I said, we've gone all over today. How with the work that like you and I are both doing, um, how do you want to continue to create a future that is more supportive for all victims of sexual violence? And how do you envision a future? If you could just like dream into whatever could be, it might be a thousand years from now, but um, how do you envision a future that is with just very supportive of sexual violence and is eradicating sexual violence? One, I, I envision that future to be factual. I don't think it's a unicorn. Mm -hmm. I think the key is to penetrate the developing minds, the younger generation. Yep. That the cultural norms are different. And then once we all die off, all of the, uh, the older people who have been mentally embedded with rape culture and, this, and those stigmas perpetuating society that says this is what consent is and this is what is not, then I think that that younger generation has a better chance of continuing with that new mentality. Yes. So we have, we have a thought process that has been driving by, driven by misogynism, if, if that's the word, misogynism. Misogynistic or misogynism, yeah, sure. You know what it's I'm talking about. Yeah, we got you. <laughs> right, so that has a large influence on women being treated like second-class citizens, which also contributes to assault, domestic violence. And then that also creates toxic masculinity, which directly influences how men come forward or not come forward. So once that mentality is depleted or the individuals who are carrying that mentality has transitioned, I think the younger generation had a bet, has a, have a better chance of carrying on a new mentality. So I think that future is very possible, but I think we right now have a responsibility to penetrate those developing minds so that we can now create a better future after we're gone. And Absolutely. for the people who follow us. So I hope I addressed your question. Yeah, we have to be the teachers and the leaders. Right. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, as we wind down today, I'm wondering if you would share a piece of poetry with our listeners, if you feel comfortable doing that. Okay. Um, you caught me off guard with this one. Let me. <laughs> you don't have to. Um, you certainly don't have to. But if you'd like to, I would love to have one. Well, I think I'm trying to do, I'm trying to think of something that's directly related to the topic. Um, are you asking for something that's directly related to the topic or just something in general? doesn't have to be directly related. So, okay. This is not related at all. That's fine. <laughs> it, it is something I talk about. But it is something that, um, debt. I think debt is, is another, is one of those other things that society is plagued by. And it, it causes depression. It causes suicide. It, it, it's a it's a wedge in relationships. So I wrote a poem about debt. I like that because I think it actually does fit. I mean, 
I want to do a whole opposite, a whole episode on finances and how it pertains to victims because it's very much tied in there. So please go ahead. Why is debt so dominant in our lives? Allah Talam AC, the devil's in the details, I key. Our paychecks aren't checking the block. The system is set up to make you a slave to your wages. For ages, banks and colleges have been thriving off miseducation and bad decisions. Institutional cash cows, oops, I mean institutional education will sell you core classes, not at all conducive to the average future. They'll teach you about electrons and neutrons to try to neutralize your brain power. In the meantime, they're raking in cash by stuffing asses in class seats. Student athletes forced to believe that paid school matches the millions being made on game day. Selling their jerseys to pay the coach outrageous wages, but the star receivers working the drive through ringing up potato wages. The core curriculum doesn't have a section for money management, but they'll teach you about the Santa Maria. But I guarantee you, you can't call Christopher Columbus when you're having problems with the credit bureau. Students across the stage in debt, drowning in debt, using credit cards as a flotation device. Bi-monthly checks are being devoured by debt with barely enough left to satisfy next week's needs. Now banks and cash advance spots are getting rich off loans and overdraft fees. We're the product of a perfect plan. We're all just pawns in a pool of piranhas. We're puppets being played for systematic gain, but you can gain momentum and save yourself through your savings, right? Time out. What do we do every time we get paid more? When we get paid more money, we buy more stuff. We buy more stuff. Spend more so we never see those increases, right? Okay, time in. Save your raises versus raising your expenses every time your wages raise. Sacrifice for six months savings and stop slaving for these credit card criminals. Oops, I mean these credit card companies. 50% of your take home should not be taken out of your home. You're just working to feed kids and pay slave owners. Own your car. Own your car instead of calling the car dealership every two years requesting a new car note. These car payments are not a lifetime engagement. You're married to a metal box. These car loan applications are just long Willie Lynch letters. You're driving around in a new noose. Debt payments are hanging you. Feet dangling over a pot of hot bills just anxious to burn you. See, the world's just a large wheel, and we're all just running to spin it at a snail's pace. The name of the game is rat racing. We're just rodents pleading for the cheese. So you've worked too long for money. Now it's time to figure out how to make your money work for you. Now you can remain broke if that works for you, but I would advise to stop spending to impress people who are probably doing worse than you. So that's debt. It's a poem about debt. That's powerful. And it's extremely, I mean, while we haven't been talking about Corona and COVID today, we're recording this during the time of Corona and COVID. And I think that's a very, very poignant home to be sharing right now. Um, and like I said, the finances and debt being linked to victims of sexual assault is a huge thing. Um, and so that really resonates with me as well. I just paid off January 1st, my business that I had to close six and a half years ago because of being stalked. I just mm-hmm. finally paid it off. Um, and that's just, thank you. But it shows, you know, I mean, it's just thing of like, I had to close this business because mm-hmm. of this crime being done against me, but I still had to pay it off. And it took me that mm-hmm. long to do it and hung over me like a dark storm cloud for so long. And yeah. so it's really powerful. Like you, you're being enslaved by that. You know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. 
restricted because it is financial obligation. So I get it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's just, that's like I said, it's a whole nother topic that maybe we'll get to talk about again, but um, Ovi, it's just been such a joy to have you here today. I cannot wait to actually get to work with you in person. Um, possibly in September we'll be meeting, but who knows if we'll ever be traveling again. We will at some point. Um, yeah. But um, I, you know, if anybody wants to learn more about Obi's work, you can go to obwest.com, and that's O-B-B-I-E, West, W-E-S-T.com. And also, if you'd like to learn more about support and services for male victims, you can go to oneinsix.org. Um, I always like to close on just like a short positive message. Do you have just like one last little thought you'd love to share with the listeners before we close out? Positive message. Yes. Um, every day we live is one day less, less that we have left. So I think it's very important to maximize your time, to recognize what your purpose here on earth is and live within that purpose, to be open to new perspective. Knowledge is one thing, but if you don't have the perspective that tells you how to employ that knowledge, then you're stagnant. So one day Every day we live is one day less we have left. So maximize every day and be open to new perspectives. Be just as good as a listener as you are a talker and um, take care of people. Yes, I love that. And I needed to hear that today because I was not using my day all that wisely until I got on here with you. So thank you for reminding me of that. Um, thank you again for joining us. Uh, for our listeners, if you have any questions, you can always email me. Anna at standupresources.com. My name is Anna Nassett. We've had Obi West here with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, be well, be strong, and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.